Hi there, friends, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Amelie Andreas, and today we have Misha Lerner of the Russian Department here to share his thesis that discusses the Russian Revolution as a text through the mind and pen of Trotsky. All right, the mic is yours, Misha. My name is Misha. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. I'm in, I was in the Russian department at Reed College, and the name of my thesis is, I have it with me, Trotsky Writes the Russian Revolution. The symbol of the explosion in Trotsky is my life and the history of the Russian Revolution and its meta-symbolic significance. Ooh, there's some very exciting terms going on and ideas to unpack there. Yeah, I think I had one of the longer titles, if not the longest title in my year. So well, that's an impressive uh, distinguishment to have. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, especially at Reed, having you have to try to have the longest thesis title. People really put in some some creativity there. Yeah, but it could be compensatory, you know. Mm, yeah. It's not necessarily a, a good thing. Yeah, well, luckily for you, it's part of the podcast policy that we don't read the thesis beforehand. So I'll never know. Okay. <laughs> um. So do you mind starting off by, for those of us who are not super familiar with the history of the Russian Revolution, do you think you could give us a little like history crash course, the five minute version of um, the Russian Revolution, especially anything that might help us understand your thesis and this text? Yeah. So, well, first of all, my thesis is a literature thesis. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily interrogate the Russian Revolution as it exists as a historical event, um, although I could, of course, give a, a short summary of the Russian Revolution. What it mainly does is it interrogates this work by Trotsky called The History of the Russian Revolution, which is really his magnum opus. Mm. Um, in terms of just like a, a brief schematic of what happened, um, so there are, uh, I would say, three main revolutions that happened during this period. Mm -hmm. In the Russian Empire, there's a 1905 revolution, um, which is really the first kind of popular revolt against czarism, against uh, autocracy. Um, it was spurred on by Russia's loss in the, in the, in the Russo-Japanese War. Then there's the February Revolution in 1917, which effectively uh, forces the czar to abdicate and creates what's known as the provisional government. The, the next kind of major revolution, which is the final revolution, which establishes the Bolsheviks uh, as the ruling party and as the party that would lead that uh, territory for the next 70 years is the October Revolution. And where Trotsky gets involved is that uh, he was the main orchestrator of the, well, what some people call coup d'etat, mm. which uh, the front did away with the provisional government and which saw the Bolsheviks as um, the leading party, the leading faction, and then there's other kind of, you know, stuff, important stuff that happens afterwards, including the civil war, which takes place between the Bolsheviks and the white the whites, as they were called, which were these forces that want to, wanted to reinstate the monarchy, but essentially that's the period of time that this work, the history of the Russian Revolution, is looking at. 
but what kind of I'm more interested in in the thesis is looking at the work as a piece of literature, as a piece of uh, narrative history. Well, I appreciate you putting on your history hat um, for the, the benefit of myself and any listeners who are not so, so versed in uh, the, the context of this text. But now we've kind of put that piece together. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of these other maybe more literature department-y words you've got there? So like, um, are, what what are we talking about when we're talking about meta-symbolic? Like, I, it's something about like on top of a symbol, but I'm sure that you can explain that a lot better than I can. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess I'll just kind of provide a brief explanation of the argument, which I provide. Yeah, that's perfect. Maybe that will kind of get at the reason why I choose this term meta-symbol. Um, so essentially what my thesis is interested in is the theories of revolutionary symbolism, which he proposes throughout the work, throughout namely the history of the Russian Revolution, although I would say there are other kind of things you could tease out from other works, including his biography, My Life. Um, he writes this uh, series of essays called... Uh, Problems of Everyday Life, which is another text I, I interrogate. And essentially, in the history of the Russian Revolution, there are two moments in which he focuses on th this kind of main idea of revolutionary symbolism. Uh, he kind of stops narrating the course of events, which he's trying to describe, and kind of provides a reflection on revolution as it can be interpreted symbolically. And so the first moment in which he does that is he says something along the lines of that. Uh, the revolution is the masteritsa, and that's a Russian word. It kind of means the producer, or more technically, it's like uh, someone who's engaged in craft work. So the revolution is the masteritsa of symbols, and that it presents everything in symbolic form. And so what I do in kind of interrogating that notion is look to precedents in Russian literature which kind of resemble the structure which Trotsky is laying out in that line, in that idea. So kind of the idea that symbolism or that individual symbols emerge from a space that is not necessarily, that, not, that cannot necessarily be empirically um, ascertained, but that exists nonetheless. So in Trotsky's case, I would say that the revolution as it exists as a concept cannot necessarily be attained physically, cannot be kind of seen physically. It is expressed in all these kind of symbolic events which take place during, you know, these special periods of human history. And so in kind of Paralleling this with another model, which is very prevalent in Russian literature, I look to the symbolist writer Andrei Bialy. His main work is Petersburg, which is kind of a modernist, um, a modernist novel about the city and about kind of anarchist terrorism, which was going on at the time, really around 1905. But what I mainly look at is his essays on symbolism and how Belly kind of uses a more idealist framework in order to get at the same notion, in order to get at the notion that, you know, these symbols are kind of emerging from someplace else and then are being expressed in the course 
of events in the course of everyday life and the course of political moves. Uh, but he kind of relies upon this idea that there's like a capital S symbol, which creates lowercase S symbols. And so the second moment in the history of the Russian Revolution, which I was looking at, is this moment in which he's talking about the nature of revolutionary symbolism. And he brings up two important concepts. One of them is that the revolution can most readily be compared to, in symbolic terms, natural events. So boiling water, avalanches, earthquakes, stuff like that. And also that these, he refers to the idea that these metaphors have the potential to become stale. And that kind of keys us into two prevalent lines of discourse that were happening um, one of them was happening uh, before the revolution, also I think around 1905, within the Bolshevik party, um, between the two main figures of the Bolshevik party at that time, Lenin and Alexander Bogdanov. And the other line of discourse, when he's talking about uh, symbols becoming stale, or at least these metaphors becoming stale, relates to both kind of this post-revolutionary anxiety amongst the Bolsheviks, or at least, at least that he's expressing, Trotsky himself is expressing, that we can't be relying on these slogans that are becoming tired and overused. And also it relates to the ideas that were being promoted by the formalist theoreticians at that time. Ma mainly what I'm referring to is Viktor Shlovsky, who was one of the main figures of Russian formalism, looking at art as it exists within itself. Uh, art for art's sake is kind of a very rude and rough summary of it all. Art for art's sake, I'm having a flashback to, I don't know if you did the old or the new humanities curriculum, but um, we talk a lot about art for art's sake in our uh, Harlem Renaissance unit. Yeah, well, I took the old, I was the last class to take the old. Oh. Uh, so, well, essentially, when I use that, I guess that itself is a slogan now, art for art's sake. When I say that, um, just analyzing a work of art, not kind of relying on the historical context that it was in, not relying upon kind of the social context that it was in, in order to understand what it actually means, relying upon what the Russian formalists call priyomwe, or devices, which the author uses throughout the text. And Shlovsky's idea, or at least one of his main ideas, is that language over time becomes stale and that it's the job of the artist, of the author, to kind of revitalize language through various devices. So one of the main ones that people discuss about is astranienia, which means, um, well, you could translate it as alienation, you could translate it as essentially what it attempts to do is to make the written word seems strange to the reader. And that's one of the ways in which art, in which language is revitalized. Trotsky actually has a polemic against the formalists in his work, um, Literature and Revolution, because he criticizes them from a Marxist point of view. Because according to a, a, a Marxist, you know, literature should be read as kind of expressing the, the, the historical situation in which it's written, mm. the, the class dynamics in which it's written. 
So he would approve of me asking for that little historical background at the start of the episode. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. <laughs> good. Good to know. But what I, yeah, but what I kind of show in my thesis is that, you know, this concern, and I'm not the only person who's pointed this out, um, Michael Gorham in his book, kind of speaking in Soviet tongues, also points this out that, you know, these concerns were shared between Marxists and between these other thinkers. But of course, this is just, you know, this is a generalization about kind of the positions that all of these people were taking. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, to say that the formalists really weren't at all interested in the historical background in which pieces of literature uh, originated from is a, is a misstatement. Because they were interested in this background. And what mm -hmm. is interesting is that the formalists, and here I'm referring to Eichenbaum, who was another leading formalist, really believed that the formal method in art and that Marxism had something in common. Mm. And he's, he uses the phrase that we're inspecting evolution, we're not inspecting origin. The formalists don't have the goal of seeing how a piece of literature, like from where did a piece of literature come about? Their goal is to interrogate the forces within a piece of literature that kind of shape it, which change it, and to an extent also investigating the social forces which shape and change a piece of literature. So for instance, I believe specifically in that article which I'm referring to, he talks about Salon culture and how the changes in Salon culture in uh, the 19th and 18th century changed literature. And this is a main task of Marxism as well. Marxism really doesn't try to answer the question as to from where did social, certain social relations uh, originate, but it tries to investigate the question of how do social relations change and what does that mean for the future? So kind of what did your process look? Were you spending a lot of your time reading, writing, contemplating, researching? I would say reading was really the main activity mm -hmm. that I engaged in throughout the thesis project. I had already read the main works that I was looking at in my life, which is about 500 pages, I would say. And the history of the Russian Revolution was about like over a thousand pages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good to have a little head start on that. <laughs> I had a little bit of a head start. And I, you know, throughout the summer, I was looking at various sources that were, could potentially be helpful to me. And the year before, my professors, I had a private study with Professor uh, Lena Ledshack, mm. in which we looked at some sources that necessarily didn't become uh, central to the thesis, but that I definitely included mm -hmm. within the thesis. But it was mainly just a lot of reading. Yeah, well, it's fitting to be reading a lot as a literature major. So yeah. I, I understand that aspect. How did you get interested in kind of both literature as a whole and also this specific niche of like Russian literature and Russian revolutionary literature? I mean, literature as a whole, I've been interested in since like middle school. So both kind of literature from the from the Russian canon and literature also from the Jewish and Yiddish canon I was originally interested in. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of my specific interests in, you know, Trotsky and the history of the Russian Revolution, that more so comes from high school. And so these questions I've been thinking about for a long, 
for a long time. Mm. And kind of the senior year and the senior thesis project provided a great opportunity to kind of advance my understanding of these topics and understanding of the connection between literature and something that would normally be phrased or understood as more historical. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, interesting parts or one of the fact, you know, really enjoyable parts about the thesis year and about the thesis process is that all of a sudden stuff in your coursework comes up and stuff mm. that, that you're just reading for maybe other reasons comes up that completely changes your understanding of your thesis mm-hmm. or, you know, like you realize like this is what you've wanted to been doing all along. You thought you were the only person doing it, but actually there's a long question. So in my case, that came with my reading of the Russian structuralist Yuri Lukman, who does marry a study of literature and a study of history by looking at history as a text. All of a sudden, I think it was like during the last two months of the thesis process, Mm -hmm. this major theoretical figure coming to my life and coming into, you know, my understanding of this made the thesis anew for me as I was working on it and also allowed me to provide a structure which I thought the thesis was lacking. Did you encounter any unexpected challenges while you were working on your thesis? I think the main challenge which anybody has in writing a senior thesis, specifically at read, is that we don't read senior theses. We just write them. And so nobody really knows or understands the expectations, the specific expectations that, that are required of students and that are required of people writing their senior thesis. And so I feel like what happens a lot of times is that people tend to overdo it. Ah. Uh, I definitely <laughs> overdid it. <laughs> know thyself. And I'm, sure, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure a lot of, you know, a lot of other people overdo it uh, and kind of turn the thesis into something, into something that it's not, turn it into kind of your magnum opus or whatever, or something mm-hmm. that is a real, that it stands as testament to your intelligence and your ability to research and your ability to analyze and to, to read and to write. And really, it's, it's, I don't think that's the goal mm-hmm. of, of the assignment. So I would say that's kind of, on a meta level, that's the biggest challenge. So what ended up being kind of like the outcome of this project? Do you have any any big takeaways or you're going to further education program now, right? You've kind of continued this um this trend. Are you are you still uh majoring in like Russian literature? Um we don't call it majoring. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good to know. In practical terms, the thesis, the, the first chapter of my thesis was my writing sample, uh, my graduate school applications. Mm-hmm. So now I'm at UC Berkeley studying Russian literature oh, wow. in their Slavic department. And so that's kind of the, the, the main thing that the thesis has produced practically in my life. And obviously, you know, as I continue studying Russian literature for hopefully the next six to seven years of my life, these ideas, you know, are things that I'm still going to be uh, grappling with and a lot for me to read in terms of this particular period of time and other kind of paths uh, that are going to be opened up to me just 
that will originate kind of in this experience of writing the writing a senior thesis that I read. Oh, I feel like that's totally what all of the people who like came up with theses at Reed would want to hear. So that is awesome to hear that you're still continuing that work. Do you think you'll kind of continue in the same direction? I mean, obviously, like in terms of what I want to do, yes, I want to focus on this uh, period in Russian literature and keep on focusing on looking at autobiography and historical sources and looking at these kind of something that's more in line, that, that could be more easily classified as intellectual history rather than uh, literary history or literature. Plainly, however, I'll have the opportunity to do that in the next year, no, because graduate schools provide their own requirements. And, you know. mm-hmm. So there's a little bit more of, they require you to diversify a little bit with their curriculum. Is that kind of how things are? The, the, gra- the program that I go to, Mm-hmm. UC Berkeley requ- requires, and I believe it's a good requirement, and mm-hmm. uh, you know a necessary requirement that people have an understanding of the canon of Russian literature. So, so the whole spectrum: Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Chekhov, the main figures, mm. including you know other figures that are lesser known to to people in the English-speaking world. So in terms of working this with this material, I'm not sure. Might have to wait for your graduate school thesis before you come full circle. I might have to, I might have to wait. Uh, or maybe I'll be given an opportunity earlier than that. Uh, but definitely in terms of, I mean, at least how I am now, I don't know whether in the course of a year I'll find something else that's potentially, that I'm potentially more mm-hmm. interested by. But I think, you know, there's enough within my senior thesis that I could, you know, keep unpacking it for years. Keep on unpacking it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do have, what was it, 1,500 pages of source material? Yeah. So <laughs> I think there's definitely a lot to unpack there. Do you have any kind of last words about the read experience or the thesis experience for all of the, you know, the prospies out there, the people who are maybe starting their their thesis this fall? Well, to the people who are starting their thesis this fall, well, that's that's a that's a well, because there's so many different types of theses that read. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if I provide any advice to people who are doing. You can direct it to the Russian literature department if you want. <laughs> this is your takeaway. So directing it towards Russian literature, literature more generally. Um, I think a lot of people understand the thesis as a as a writing project and write a lot and really kind of. The writing will come. Um, what it really is is a reading project, mm. and it's your ability to kind of outline this the discourse that you want to be, or outline them the, the debate that you want to be um, engaging with, whether that's a literary debate or whether that's a debate that relates to a, a certain feature in a work of literature that you're looking at, and to really kind of plunge yourself as much as you're able to into that into that territory without getting lost mm-hmm. and without, um, you know, attempting to read everything because you can't. <laughs> I feel like that's a good final piece of advice. Don't attempt to read everything because you can't. It's very true. And I think sometimes we all need to be reminded of that. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for your wise advice and for sharing your fascinating thesis. Best of luck with your graduate program, and thanks for joining us on Bring Your Draft. And thank you as well to all of our listeners who took the time to tune into this episode. I hope you'll join us again to hear from more alumni and students about what it means to burn your draft. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. The views, information, or opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Reed College. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Amelie Andreas. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast start by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.